0: Dancers themselves get it. Like dancers themselves, sort of, they come in, they train, they know how they feel pretty quickly. They feel more explosive. They feel like their conditioning gets better. And that's not like anything special that we're doing. That's just strength training.
1: Hello, hello, my lovely friends. Welcome to today's episode. I have my first interview to share with you today, and it's one that I am very excited about because my guest is Jason Harrison, who is a certified strength and conditioning specialist who works very often with dancers very closely to help enhance dance performance and prevent injuries using strength and conditioning. And this is a topic that I'm quite passionate about, I mean, ever since I was injured, and I had to go through physical therapy and start doing some basic strength and conditioning work that didn't really look like dance, I realized how beneficial it can be to your dance life. During the interview, you'll hear a little bit more about Jason, but I thought I'd just explain how I found him originally was I saw his Instagram page. I'm not sure how I stumbled upon it or when I did, but I remember seeing it and just immediately following the page because I was so happy to see someone um, taking a very careful approach to working with dancers and showing genuine interest in finding strength and conditioning practices that would help improve dance performance and address a lot of the issues that dancers face. I feel like it's rare to find that kind of content right now, and so I definitely recommend that you follow his page as well, I'll, da- I'll put the links in the show notes, but his handle on Instagram is at Fitness. So in today's episode, we are talking about the benefits of strength and conditioning work for dancers. We also are debunking the myth that you will become bulky from doing strength training or lifting weights. And we talk a little bit about the importance of rest and recovery, and how you should go about prioritizing that throughout the week. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Just give us a little bit of your background. So how you got into this space and how you started working with dancers.
0: So I started, fitness is not my first profession. It's it's probably... I've had a lot of different things that I've done, but I started training. I started as a personal trainer at uh, at Equinox in New York City in around 2006 and It was I was in a nine-to-five job that I hated and it was at the time living in New York I was um, I wanted to be a screenwriter and I thought like oh if I'm a personal trainer I have lots of time to take meetings and things like that and I uh, Of course, there were no meetings to be taken and my screenwriting career went nowhere, but that's where I started in fitness. And so I sort of like came in and out of fitness over the years. And then around 2012, uh, living in the DC area, and I was still sort of flailing around with what I wanted to do with myself. And my wife basically said like, you've been doing fitness, like that's been the consistent thing. Why don't you just like steer all the way into that? And so that's when I just decided to really get serious about um, fitness as my career that I would stick with rather than using it as a means to some other end. Cut to a few years after that, 2015, 2016, we moved back to the Dayton area to be closer to my aging parents. And we opened a brick and mortar studio uh, here. And I had been thinking for a while about the unmet need, um, among dance populations. And I mean, even going back to Equinox, like I, I remember very distinctly, and I think I remember who the specific dancer was, but I was assigned as a personal trainer an Alvin Ailey dancer. And I thought it was crazy because I knew that I didn't know anything. Literally on a, on a Friday, I was just a regular person at a nine to five job. And then on a Monday, they give you a shirt that says trainer, and then you're a trainer. And then here they're giving me this, like, you know, at the time I didn't know much about dance, but I knew Alvin Ailey and I thought that was wild. And so I, I, I think that that sort of like planted a seed, like, wait a minute, like they wouldn't just assign me a professional athlete. So why am I getting this like high level, this high level dancer? Um, anyway, so like when we, we opened the studio in Dayton, we just, we, um, the, the yoga teacher that worked with us and personal trainer, Anna, she had some connections to some dancers And we just brought a few dancers in and just asked them a bunch of questions about their work, about their schedule, about what they they felt their needs were. And we just started investigating and thinking and asking a lot of questions. And then we got, you know, um, some young dancers to work with us and then some professionals. And it just sort of grew from there. So that's how we, we ended up sort of in this in the dance space
1: that's super interesting and and you said something that kind of struck a chord with me because it's something I've been thinking about lately where a lot of dancers I mean I guess the dance industry as a whole they kind of there's always this question are we athletes are we artists and I think a lot of dancers and people would say it's you're both but so why do we treat dancers differently than we treat any other type of athlete in terms of like diversifying your training I interned for a little bit with the Houston Ballet, and I kind of remember them. They showed me the whole place. They showed me their little training room, and it might be different now because this was years ago, so I don't want to say anything about what Houston Ballet is doing right now, um, but it was just, it's like treadmills, Pilates, yep. and, and that was it, and they had some kind of like other Pilates class, but there was, seemed to be no real focus on strength training. And so, Mm -hmm. so tell us a little bit about why it's important for dancers to strength train outside of their regular technique classes.
0: I I think it's critical because, I mean, the the thing that we quickly realized in working with, particularly the professionals, but I think this is true of, of younger dancers as well, is the, is really the limited amount of time that dancers have in their in their schedules and dance is such a skill intensive activity um, that it leaves very little time for other things. And so I think the dance world has long known that, you know, you, you need to develop um, cardiovascular and strength and power capabilities outside of the dance studio. Like that's pretty much settled. Like everybody agrees with that. The question then is like, how do you go about that? and traditionally in doing things like like pilates or even gyrotonic those have been the modalities that that are because they sort of look like dance and it's like well if i want to be a better dancer i should do a thing that that looks like dance strength and conditioning so like barbells kettlebells dumbbells are important for dancers because of the efficiency of that modality and so you don't need a lot of, whereas with something like Pilates or even gyrotonic, they're not, those things work, but you need a lot of them in order to elicit the stimulus. Whereas with strength training, I don't need a lot of strength training to elicit the response that I'm looking for. And so what that does is it efficiently addresses a need and it allows a dancer to not have to spend hours upon hours on a treadmill, on an elliptical, or doing all these things, they can get really with three hours of good solid strength and conditioning training, programmatic strength training. That's all they need. And then they have time to cook, sleep, you know, maybe even like have a social life, um, digest complex choreography. It's Strength training is important because of the efficiency of the delivery system. You know, everybody's trying to solve the same problems, but The time problem is one where I think, um, strength training is, is a really invaluable weapon for, for dancers.
1: Okay. And so when a dancer, I know it's definitely different for every person that comes in, but what are some common areas of weakness that you see in dancers that come in?
0: So I would say the, I wouldn't say that this is a weakness. I, I would say it's a common trait. And then I'll, I'll talk about weakness in a second. Um, but the common trait that we see is, is mobility. And, um, which makes sense. I mean, to, in order to dance expressively, one needs mobility. That's great when one is dancing. That's great in a dance studio. It be, can become an issue that needs like a laser focus in a strength training con- uh, context. Whereas mobility is great in arabesque Hypermobility might not be great with a barbell on your back because that's when you know something can go wrong. You can get into to spinal extension, compress your spine between the bar and the floor, and then now you have a problem. That's the common thread that we see among dancers is just is this mobility, and so we we our approach to strength training with dancers is to borrow a phrase from another strength coach, um, you're trying to fill the buckets that aren't filled in their other activity. So the mobility bucket is usually pretty full for dancers. We're trying to give them more stability. In terms of weakness, what we see is that it's, it's highly individualized. And so one of the things I thought going into this work is that, oh, you're gonna see the same thing across dancers. And the truth is, is like, there's wide variability in terms of like what what we see from from person to person. With men, I mean, you'll see sort of common like shoulder injuries, low back injuries, but our approach is to just take every individual and address like their specific needs because sometimes you can see sort of like similar issues that are um, arising for individual reasons. And so the, the, the way to quote unquote fix those might be different from person to person.
1: Got it. And I want to bring this up. I was going to save it for the end, but I feel like it needs to be addressed as soon as possible because I know that the danger of talking about this topic is that someone might listen and think, okay, yes, I do need to strength train. And then they go off and try and do something on their own. That's potentially dangerous, especially if they don't know what they're doing or they might have some kind of underlying issue or injury. So, What do you suggest for a dancer who is interested in this? What kind of approach should they take? And I I know it could be something more at like the studio level, but what what are some things we can start doing?
0: This is a really, it's a really good question. And it's a really difficult question to answer, like practically speaking. So my fantasy version of it is every single person who's interested in strength training would hire a good strength and conditioning coach. (laughs) Um, But that's not really practical, both in terms of, I mean, mostly in terms of the financial reasons. Well, so if I were a young dancer and I wanted to learn strength and conditioning, the instinct is to search out people who are working with dancers. I would just start filling my social media feed with strength and conditioning experts. So people who may not have anything to do with dance and just like sort of start to digest what they're doing, um, the form that they teach, And so part of it's just like sort of saturating one's like social media feed with, with strength and conditioning professionals at the studio level. So like, um, like dance teachers or um, even artistic directors or choreographers, I mean, that's an opportunity where that's where people can have the resources to that, to like bring in a strength and conditioning coach and do a workshop. So the dance world traditionally has been dominated by physical therapists and athletic trainers. And that's not a bad thing, but they're different approaches. And so I think, I mean, part of the argument that we're trying to make with our work is there's room at the table for a strength and conditioning coach, which is a different thing than a physical therapist. And because I spend my life, my entire life, my entire profession is built around evaluating the needs of an athlete. And then developing a strength and conditioning program that serves the needs of that athlete's chosen activity. Like that is, the only, that is my only focus. I don't, I don't rehab people from injury. I don't do acute injury um, interventions. I help people get stronger. I help people get more explosive. And I help people um, enhance their conditioning. Um, and so I think there's room for that person at the table in the dance world. I think part of the problem has been is traditionally people like me have not shown interest and respect for the dance world, like strength and conditioning coaches, like on social media, everybody wants to be a, a, a football strength and conditioning coach or soccer or a rugby or whatever. And You'll even see people, you'll even see strength and conditioning coaches like on social media sort of speak derisively of, uh, you know, you need to make your athletes tougher. Don't treat them like ballerinas. And it's like, really? Well, ballerinas are some of the toughest athletes I've ac- actually had the 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 privilege of training. So I you know I think there's some mis- misogyny baked into that. And, and like I said, some condescension baked into that. So it stands to reason why strength and conditioning coaches haven't been a part of the, the conversation, because we haven't represented ourselves very well. But that, I guess that's a long answer to your, to your question, which is, I think for an individual, I, I, I think following good professional strength and conditioning people who are outside of the dance world. And then for the, the studio level, the artistic director, the choreographer, you know, find a good strength coach in your area and and work with them um, and, and learn from them.
1: It's a long answer, but a very good one. And I want to continue it a little bit because I know that you just released your own program. Talk a little bit about that, how you started that.
0: Yeah. So it's the Present Tense Fitness Dancer's Guide to Strength. And it, we started working on this, man, a couple years ago now. And what I wanted to do was, what I refer to it as is not a, I, I call it a sample program. And the reason I use that word sample is that it's, Not every person should just buy this program and do the program as written. So I call it a sample program because this this three months looks sort of like what three months, if you were working with us in person at present tense might look like, but it's not gonna be for every single person. And this is where I use the phrase dancer specific. And then there are coaching videos for each exercise in the program. But I think the more important thing is the logic that comes with the program. So if you buy the Dancer's Guide to Strength, then you will see, you'll get a PDF and you'll get like a spreadsheet with like all the exercises and you get, you get all the videos, but we teach people how to approach writing a program. And so if you digest the logic of the program, you'll see like, oh, actually like my, um, I have, I struggle with lumbopelvic stability. And so I probably shouldn't do a barbell Romanian deadlift, but because they taught me about hinge movements, like what those are, I can swap out another exercise for that one. Everybody needs to strengthen their hamstrings and glutes, but not everybody is gonna approach that with the same exact exercise. And so part of what we're, we're trying to do with that, that the, the Dancer's Guide to Strength is sort of teach people how a strength coach approaches writing a program for an athlete, in this case, for dancers.
1: And I'm guessing that the the types of clients that come in to see you probably are already pretty motivated and they understand the benefits of doing some outside training. But have you ever had anyone who makes the claim that doing strength training is going to make them a bulky dancer?
0: Yes. Um, That's still something that we hear a lot one of the things we've, we've sort of encountered a lot is that dancers themselves get it like dancers themselves sort of, they come in, they train, they know how they feel. They know that pretty quickly they feel more explosive. They feel like their conditioning gets better. And that's not like anything special that we're doing. That's just strength training. it's the people that they, sometimes that they work for. So artistic directors or teachers at their school who still have some of these like old school, like, oh, you're not doing like squats, are you? Cause that'll make you bulky like that. So the dancers get it. It's the people above them sometimes who don't. This claim about bulk, like I, this is a really difficult thing for me to talk about because I have, I'm, I'm of two minds here. I mean, number one, just the science says that you can you can lift weights and not build huge muscles. Because if that were true, every 18 year old boy who's trying to get big would be big. And when we know that that's just really hard to do. So just the science of that like old school thinking has been long debunked. However, it's complex because I I don't want to even accept the framework of the question from people. Does lifting make you bulky? Because part of what we're doing, if we accept that, is that it's bad for women to get bigger. And I don't think that's true. And I don't think it's true in a dance con, like people talk about lines and they talk about tradition and all that stuff. But like, I really think that some of these things are just baked into a a, a kind of um, misogyny. And a lot of times an anti-black misogyny where we try to police women's bodies. And so you know, my answer to that is I reject the framework of the question, not from you, but like when other people talk about this, but also, no, it's not going to make you bulky.
1: (laughs) I totally get that. I think about that all the time because I myself, like I've developed quite a bit of muscle since quitting, like strictly doing ballet all the time. Mm -hmm. And I still take ballet classes in the evenings every once in a while. And I think about it. I'm like, oh, maybe I am too muscular for this or whatever. Like, look at everyone else. But then it's like, why does that matter? Why do we have to be stick thin? Why is that, is that still the aesthetic in 2021? It's it's a whole nother concept wrapped into yeah. all of this.
0: And you felt, you feel like, I mean, you're not dancing as often, but you feel like your technique, like nothing has fallen off
1: um,
0: as you've gotten stronger. Like No,
1: you- and- And, you know, so the reason that I got really interested in this is because last year I tore my ACL and then I started going to physical therapy. And you talked about this a little bit earlier, how it might be beneficial for someone to not look at dancer specific trainers and things. And so my physical therapist, it wasn't by choice. They had no dance background at all. They were working with athletes, basketball players, whatever. And so I actually thought it was really interesting to hear their perspective when I would, they would have me do a movement and I would say like, oh, sorry, like I tend to do this because of dance. And they're like, well, why do you do that? Well, you need to build up this muscle instead. And, and they started showing me so many things that, I, that were like the little missing gaps in my training. And I feel like if anything, I'm so much stronger now because I yeah. still do incorporate strength training. And so when I go to ballet class, like I did last night, I feel like you, there's just such a noticeable difference and how you hold yourself, like you said, your explosiveness when you jump, because I can not go to a dance class for a couple of weeks, but still do my outside training and then come back. And I still feel like I can get back into it. And I think that's part of it is yeah. doing that outside work.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I should say, I mean, I, there's a lot of dance medicine people that I deeply respect. Like, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I hopefully it doesn't come across that way. But like, I, I think that's a really good um, example that you, gave of like you're doing sort of like non-dance specific stuff but then it it manifests when you go and like take a dance class mm-hmm. and that's the work I mean that is that is what good um, strength work can do like when and this is true of any sport like if you have a Uh, basketball player, their strength training doesn't look like basketball, you're giving them general tools that manifest when they do their specific thing, but it doesn't all look, it doesn't all look the same. Um, Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you don't account for their specific activity. It just means that, you know, for the most part, 85% of any strength training program, any strength training program is going to look like very similar. And I think that's shocking for a lot of people to hear. It's that last 15% where like, yeah, okay, with this, you're not going to have an offensive lineman in American football do the same stuff as a tennis player, but a lot of their stuff is going to look like pretty similar.
1: Mm -hmm. In terms of, I know you said you can get a lot out of a short period of time of training per week, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, so what is the role of rest in all of this? How important is that? And how should dancers go about prioritizing that?
0: I spend most of my time when I'm working with dancers talking about rest, (laughs) um, because it's so, it runs so counter to the dance culture of run it again. Uh, Okay. Run it again. Like that sort of like, you know, more, just more, 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 um, working through pain, um, working through hunger, And then I find myself as a strength coach, like I end up being the person saying like, let's get you some food, let's get you some rest. Let's, (laughs) you know, um, wait, let's not ignore that pain. What's going on there? Um, With regard to rest specifically and its relationship to training, I talk about earning the right to work hard. And so one's strength training program can only be as difficult as one can recover from it, and so if you don't have the time to rest well, uh, eat well, hydrate well, sleep well, then you don't have time to do a really intense strength training workout. And I, I'm, we are known for just sending people home. Wait, I'm sorry, you got you got four hours of sleep. Okay, um, we'll see you next time. You just can't. There's nothing good that's going to come out of just grinding your body down. We get stronger when we're resting and recovering, not while we're working. You like the strength training stimulus, all of the stimulus, we give our body a thing that's a little bit harder than it's used to. And then your body, when we rest, hydrate, sleep, eat, our body uses all of those things to then build new tissue and build new capability. But that new capability, new capability. And new tissue can't be built if we're just, if cortisol levels are high, the stress hormone, and if we're not getting the, the, giving the body time to, to use the nutrition to build that new tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, so rest is, that is the thing. And th- I mean, that is, and if you talk to like strength and conditioning coaches across other sports, um, if you talk to like college strength and conditioning coaches, the two things they complain about the most is that their athletes don't sleep enough and that they don't eat enough. <laughs> and so it's, rest is the whole thing. Like that's, it's, it's critical. Like that's number one. Um, you know, I tell even I, my dancers and my general population clients alike, I say block off eight hours of sleep on your calendar, like just block it off and then build the rest of your schedule around that. And if you don't have time, to do the rest of your schedule with that blocked off, then you, you need to evaluate like priorities in that, in that calendar. But your people say like, I just had this conversation last week with somebody. They are like, I've, you know, I've always just gotten like six, six and a half hours of sleep and I've been like, well, you're not, you've never been getting enough sleep. That's not enough. Mm
1: -hmm. There's no
0: scientific study that will say like six and a half hours is good, seven to eight hours. Like that's just, and for somebody who wants to achieve at a high level, somebody who wants to be like an elite dancer start with sleep.
1: <laughs> I danced in college on my college dance team and of course we we performed at like basketball games football games so I knew a lot of those people like the players and I always thought it was interesting how they they would say no to certain things because they're like oh no I have to be in bed at this time my coach told me like and I have this at this certain time in the morning but then for us it's like we had practice till 9 p.m one night and then the next morning we would have our morning workout at 6 45 it's like how do you expect me to go home do my homework be able to wake up tomorrow and have enough sleep to do this and it's just like we don't take enough time to evaluate these things especially as dancers because i mean in our case also dance wasn't under the athletic program i think it's like that for a lot of schools unfortunately so we didn't even have our own coaches it was us doing workouts that our dance coaches gave us which of course they don't always know exactly what to prescribe us so that's
0: really in- so that's that's really interesting um I'd never considered that, but yeah, like a dance team that's not under the athletic department. Yeah. I mean, there's probably, we could have a lot
1: lot of, yeah, like political reasons behind it. And in terms of like funding, what I had been told is like, at least at our university, that being under athletics, we would get a very small cut of the budget. And so it's better for us to be grouped with band and cheerleaders and mascots because they will give us some of their budget. Okay. Is there anything, any last words you want to share with my dance community here?
0: <laughs> I would say I think start learning the basics of strength and conditioning as early as you can, and it doesn't have to look comp. It doesn't have to look complicated. It doesn't have to look like dance. Learn how to do a basic ass squat, like just a basic goblet squat, and if you can perfect that, you'll be you don't need, the basics will work for a very long time, particularly given, I almost think for dancers that everything they do in terms of movement is so very complex and so very technical that their strength training should almost be the opposite. That it should be like, let's just get it, let's let's be super basic and save some of that brain power for choreography and dance and performance. Um, that would be the one thing. The other thing I would say, and I'm not a I'm not a dietitian, um, but I would say it's important for any athlete to have a healthy relationship with food. And if you have people in your life who are encouraging you to diet or restrict calories or you know, dance with that sort of like dizzy feeling or that nauseated feeling then those are people who don't have your best interests at heart and you need to find somebody, a sports dietitian or a dance um, a dance medicine dietitian who knows how to help um, fuel people for um, athletic or artistic endeavors. There's still a real serious problem with uh, disordered eating in the dance world and it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to dance in pain. You don't have to dance while starving. Like there's a way we know now scientifically how to, to fuel people properly so that they don't like, if I get that like body fat is a, is a concern. Um, there's all sorts of, you know, not great reasons for that, but we know how to, how to fuel people well for activity without starvation. And so if you're in that mode, I just really encourage people to, to seek help from a, a dance medicine professional. or or a sports dietitian.
1: Excellent, excellent points. I'm actually working on one of my future guests to bring on to be a dietitian specifically in the dance world. So definitely hope to touch on this topic a lot more because like you said, it's still a big problem in this yep. industry, unfortunately. Well, thank you so much for joining me. We might have to do a part two someday because I feel like there's so many more things that we can talk about. So- I would love,
0: yeah. I learned, I you taught me some things in this conversation too, so I, I really appreciate the opportunity.
1: All righty, my friends. If you made it all the way through this episode, thank you so much for listening. Hope it was informative. If you have any topic suggestions or any kind of curiosities you want me to explore, in future episodes, please feel free to leave me a uh, message. No, not leave me a message. Send me a message over on Instagram. Um, the page is at the dot curious dancer. So you can send me a DM with your comments and questions. Um, I also would love it if you could leave a review for this podcast on Apple Podcasts. I'm not asking this because I just want to have a bunch of like high star ratings, I'm asking because the more people that leave reviews, the more likely it is that the podcast will get pushed out to more dancers and I really think that the information I am presenting on this podcast would be beneficial to lots of people in the dance community. So I'm just trying to spread the message and I'd love it if you could help out. Once again, thank you guys so much for your support, and I hope to have you back for next week's episode. Bye!